If you would, please turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. We'll take a break from uh, Revelation just for a little bit. This is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers there. And um, I just uh, got word that the Zelenskys lost their father this morning, it sounded like. And, and Basil lost a, a brother. And uh, so we'll be praying for that family. But uh, this is Father's Day, so it's a joy to uh, honor our fathers. Proverbs chapter 14, we're just going to look at two verses. I want to bring some encouragement to our fathers today in these two verses. Verse 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And his children, and his children will have refuge. For the fear, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life that one may avoid the snare of death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this precious word. It, it, uh, Lord, it motivates us. It energizes us. It, uh, it does, it, it ignites our heart. Uh, Lord, we, we just thank you for it. I do pray that you would bless our our time today. Lord, may it be an encouragement to fathers, an encouragement to the rest of us as well as we uh, just glean from its truths. There's so much here, Lord. I pray that you would give understanding um, and clarity. And then may we apply it to our lives as we think through it and, and evaluate our day, our daily life and bring the two together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start from the very beginning today, just the, the most obvious thing. God has made men and women different. There's a difference between men and women. Now, it's the obvious, I know. And, and I know this because this morning I get up and I take a shower. I have one bottle of body wash in my shower, right? That's just one. I use one bottle of body wash. But in my shower... I actually have 11 bottles of body wash. 11. I counted them this morning. And there's two other females that share this, uh, this shower. And I say, what is the deal? How does, this, how does this happen? I only need one. Dad, you don't have any hair. You wouldn't understand. And so they just explain it away. 11 bottles. Look, we're different, aren't we? There's a difference between men and women. God has made us different. Now, the genders are equal before God, obviously, and, and that, is, that is not a, in, in question at all. But He calls us to different responsibilities. And as fathers and as husbands, as men, we have a different responsibility than our wives, than women would. Now, I want you to see this. A few things just in the New Testament, just to lay this foundation. Turn over to uh, 1 Timothy. You'll see that uh, the reference is on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse, verse 8. Just read this very quickly. But if anyone does not provide for his own, his own and especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The heavy lifting, the responsibility providing for the house is placed upon the father, the dad, the husband. He has that responsibility. And if he is not providing, then, then he is, uh, 
He is worse than an unbeliever. Unbeliever. Now that's pretty strong. On top of building the kingdom of God, on top of what God has called us to do, all of us to do, to seek His kingdom first, on top of the spiritual kingdom, we have obligation here to this physical earth, to this physical kingdom, and we have to provide for our own household. That's one element of our responsibility. There's another one. Chapter 3. You're in First Timothy. Turn over to chapter 3 and verse 4 and 5. He must be... Now, this is the qualifications of a deacon and an elder. And uh, here's some qualifications for these men. He must be above... Um, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. For... Or, or, but if a man does not know how to manage his, manage his own household... How can he take care of the church of God? He can't. He learns those principles from managing his own household, from managing these sinful people, his own sinful state, these sinful people within the family. And then he learns those principles and he can manage and bring order and to the church. And he does it and he should be able to do it with all dignity, he says. And that's pretty strong. Pretty strong. There's another one. In Ephesians chapter 6, turn over uh, a little bit to the left, Ephesians chapter 6, we have another principle. Now, all of these are given to men, responsibilities to men. Fathers, he says, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we have another responsibility for the fathers. Now, the word fathers there, it can be parents, it can be broadened to parents, but he specifically says fathers here because the weight of burden, the weight of responsibility falls upon the man. It just does. He is the one that's going to be held accountable. And he says, do not provoke them to anger. Don't spank them out of anger and create that angry tone in your home that they're provoked to anger. But bring them up. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And there's a verb there, bring them up. And this is a command. It's a command from God. It's not just a suggestion. Oh, here's a good idea. No, this is essential. You have to do it. You're going to be held accountable for these things. And it's an active command. It is uh, something you don't just sit back and watch them grow up. No, bring them up. You you actively go after them and bring them up. And then bring them up. It's also in the present tense it's a it's a constant thing it's a it's a continuous action it's something that men are always always working on always doing and that heavy responsibility falls upon the man now the woman helps the the wife is is a is a help mate as well and she probably does most of the work of of that but the man is responsible to make sure that tone is set in his home and the direction is there Now, when we stand, men and women, we stand before God, we will give an account of these things. Men are going to be held accountable to this standard. And this is a high standard. God's standard is very high. And we fall short of that standard, yet, yet we go on, men, right? We go on. And we find our confidence in something. It's our own optimism usually when we're young, but that kind of fades after... After a while, it's self-confidence, it's skill, our own skill, our own strength, our own personality maybe, our, our wisdom, finances, our quick wit, how quickly we can come to uh, 
you know, give an answer, those type of things. And we begin to, to learn, oh, we can develop some confidence here. Oh, I can, I've got this skill. But that confidence comes from somewhere. And you know there's certain men that you've seen them that really have just lost any hope. They've lost any confidence at all. And it's a very sad thing when men do not have confidence to fulfill and to do what they were called to do. And so I want, and I see this, and I want this passage to be an encouragement to our men today. And it's very important. Solomon is giving us, and let's turn back to Proverbs, Proverbs 14, but Solomon is giving us in this little, just short, pithy little statement of wisdom, this proverb, really the very basis of life. Some of the Proverbs is um, you just kind of add on to your life. Like in verse chapter 15, if you're close there, 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Well, that's a good thing to know. You kind of add to your life. In chapter 15, verse 18, he talks about the hot-tempered man and anger. And in verse 19 there, he talks about the lazy man. And we could add those things onto our life, these little principles. But this is not just an add-on. This is actually the very core this is at the, the very core of, of our Christian life, of life and the foundation of life. Uh, this, is, this is the very foundation source of our life in which we get our confidence and alleviates fear. And that's important to us, man. This is an important passage for us. And I would encourage you to read Proverbs. You need to read this wisdom Literature, And this is, by the way, wisdom literature. I want you to, to know that. This is Hebrew poetry. It's not poetry in the sense of rhyming. It is poetry in the sense of contrasting and comparing thoughts and ideas and, and uh, thought-provoking phrases, a turn of phrase we might use, we might say. And again, I would encourage us to read Proverbs on a daily basis. Read through it. It's practical. I want to show you, I want to just read some things that some commentaries said about uh, Proverbs. One commentary said this, Proverbs contains a gold mine of biblical theology reflecting themes of Scripture brought to the level of practical righteousness. Now that's what we need today, isn't it? Practical righteousness. We have theology. I don't worry about our theology, but our practical righteousness is so important. He goes on to say, by addressing man's ethical choices and calling into question how he thinks, lives, and manages his daily life in light of biblical truth. That's important. We have biblical truth. How do we live in light of that biblical truth? We go to the book of Proverbs and it lays much of it out for us. He goes on to say, more specifically, Proverbs calls men to live a, as the Creator intended him to live when he was made. Now that's good. God created us in such a way that here's the life and here's the way it's to be lived. And those principles about life are laid out right here in the book of Proverbs. And that is wonderful. Now another uh, commentary, Kinder. I love Kinder on the book of Proverbs. But here, here's what he says. Proverbs presents the hard facts of life and it knocks the nonsense out of us. Isn't that great? Sometimes we need the nonsense just knocked out of us. We just do foolish things. Another one says uh, Proverbs is, is to put uh, godliness into working clothes. Just godliness into working clothes. Those are good ways to look at the book of Proverbs. And we need this, men. We need this. Essentially, it is living 
in this material, physical world with wisdom from above. God's wisdom. It's, it's living a natural, in a natural world with supernatural principles for life. That's what it is. And we need this. We need this. Now, the main theme of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. And we see that motto in these two verses, in verse 26 and verse 27, start out in the fear of the Lord or the fear of the Lord. We need to understand what this means. This isn't talking about a terror. This isn't talking about panic-stricken, although there is that element of a profound respect, if you will, that fear a little bit. There is that. But it's more than just a healthy respect for authority. That's what some people have just kind of reduced it to a healthy respect for authority. But it's much more than that. It's a reverence for God. And it implies a few things. It implies knowledge. It implies a relationship with God, doesn't it? It implies the fear of the Lord. You have to know this Lord to, to fear Him. It implies that, a relationship. It also indicates obedience or submission to this Lord. You fear Him. He is to be feared. He created you, and and you are to submit yourselves under Him. But I like the little phrase here. It says, the object here is to foster not self-reliance, not self-reliance, but faith. Now, so often we look at the book of Proverbs, and we glean these things, and we we do them in our own strength, if you would say it like that. But... uh, But it's not to foster self-reliance. It's to foster faith in God. It's a relationship and a dependence upon God. That's what it's it's for. Now, the fear of the Lord is found in the very first of the book. And it's the very purpose of the book is to to teach and and to train men in the fear of the Lord. And, And he says, it is the beginning of knowledge. That's the first place to start. The beginning of of knowledge is to fear the Lord. This reverential admiration, this submissive fear is the foundation for our education, for our knowledge, our spiritual knowledge, our spiritual understanding and wisdom comes first by submitting ourselves or fearing the Lord. Now, we need to understand that. That's important. And it speaks of this redemptive relationship. That's what we would call it in the New Testament. It's a redemptive relationship. And we understand it much more clearly in the New Testament than they probably ever did in the Old Testament. One commentary said it's worshiping submission, or that is fear, worshiping submission to the Creator. That's what it is. Just constantly submitting ourselves, worshiping the Lord, submitting ourselves to the Lord. It's a, in submitting to His authority and His majesty, we are continuing our education. Now, this is the very core of what men need. Paul said, there is no fear before their eyes. Men, we don't... In our day, there's very little fear of God. Very little fear of God. Very little talk of eternity. Talk of judgment. And standing before the Lord and giving an account for ourselves. There's very little... Uh, Very little of that. And and we need to learn to fear the Lord. We need to learn what that means. And I think it it comes because of uh, just a a lack of respect for God. It comes a a lack of respect for spiritual things in general. But we don't know the God that we're dealing with. He is a powerful God. And He created us. He will call into account our actions at some point. At some point. And we need to learn to fear the Lord. And that's the basis here for these two verses. But here's the 
the sweet thing about these two verses, the good thing here, is that Christians have the greatest of resources found in the fear of the Lord. And it's just a contrast, a contradiction it seems. But when we fear the Lord, there's blessings that come out of that. And He lays, uh, He gives us two, lays two out for us here. There's probably more, but I just want to focus upon these two in the book of Proverbs. So the question it's asked is, what are the benefits? That's the thing. What are the benefits of fearing the Lord? In this passage, we see two benefits. The first one is a strong confidence. Now, look at this. I love this. Verse 26, it says, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Where's our confidence, man? There's strong confidence. And his children... Now, this is the wise man's children, or the man who fears the Lord, his children, will have refuge. Now, some of the the translations may have a capital H there for his children talking about God's children, but it's not really a phrase that we'd see in the Old Testament, particularly in, in, the, in a book of Proverbs like this, in this pithy little statement. The his is probably referring to the man who is submitting himself to the Lord, fearing the Lord. Because he has a, a refuge in God, his children have a refuge in him, in God as well. But they, they know that they can come to this man, this godly man who fears the Lord, and take refuge. Now, that's a wonderful idea here. Um, the word strong, uh, uh, yeah, strong confidence uh, means powerful security. Strong or powerful or mighty. And then uh, confidence is this security. And it has the idea, and I, th- I was trying to think of an illustration of this. But you see... Um, particularly in Shark Week on TV, but they have these guys that will go down among the sharks and they will go down with confidence. And they have this confidence because they're in this shark cage. The sharks can't get to them and they have a lot of confidence. In fact, they have a lot, of, a lot more boldness than I would have, but, uh, but they're pretty confident. They're in a place of security. They're, the idea here is a, a fortress, a place of security. In the midst of danger. Now, you don't want to leave that out. In the midst of danger, they have this place. Everything bad is happening around them, but they are secure. They are secure. That's the idea. Now, let's begin to apply this a little bit or think through this a little bit. Men, there's many things that shatter our confidence. There's many reasons that we don't have very high, much confidence, especially in the Lord and in in fearing the Lord. Basically, many times, just the the difficulties of life. I mean, life just beats us down. When you take on heavy responsibility, life just continues to to push on us. And just the general pressures of life, as Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 13, when He talked about the, the gospel was laid out there, but the pressures of life squeezed it out, if you would. Sometimes it's just our own bodies dealing with our own pains and aches and uh, hard work and our bodies get tired, our bodies get old and, and man, we just, we lose, we lose focus, we lose confidence. Sometimes people uh, are sinful and they sin against us, they accuse us with wrong motives and they, uh, they're playing these, these games in, at work and they just push on you pressures of life. Sometimes it's even nature. Nature seems to be against us. In fact, the Bible says that we are to to work hard with the sweat of our brow. 
That's the only way that nature's going to yield for us anymore. It's, you have to work it. You have to work by the sweat of Nature is even against it. And of course, we have Satan is against us. He is real and he's come to kill and to steal and to destroy. He's against us. But even beyond that, our own sinful nature is against us. We can't even trust ourselves. We can't trust ourselves. One commentary said, and I like this, evil not only attacks us, but it attracts us because of our own sinful nature. And that's a godly man sees that and he's just cautious. He's so cautious. And many times you can lose, lose confidence. And then sometimes it's just the expectations of life are not met and you, you begin to think, I'm just not going to make it. I'm not going to do well. But here's the deal, men. We have to have our confidence in something bigger than ourselves. Our confidence cannot be in ourselves. We will not make it. We, we are deficient. We, we have our limitations. But in God, there is no limitations. And our confidence must be in His strength, in, in something bigger than better than ourselves. That's a contradiction here. You understand that. Because this is an act of faith. When we look around and we live by sight, we, we might have a little bit of confidence. But this is asking us to, to know, don't trust on what you see, trust on the unseen. The unseen God. Put your faith in Him. Look over at chapter 18, 18 and verse 10. I think you see this on the board. 18 and 10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's a wonderful picture. A strong tower. And it goes on to say, and he, uh, the righteous run into him and is safe. That's a wonderful picture. That's the picture that should come to mind here. He is a refuge. We run to him. I mean, guys, life will beat us down. It does beat us down. All the time, the pressures and the responsibilities of life beat us down. But you know what? We run to him. That's a wonderful thing. When your children, there's a, a fear there and they run to their dad. They run to their mom. Folks, that's the image. One commentary, again, Kinder said this. He said, the world thinks the unseen is the unreal. (laughs) Now think about that. But it is not the, the man of God. It is not the man of God, but the man of prosperity who must draw on his own imagination to feel secure. Just the opposite of what we think. We see all this stuff around us and we think, oh, we're secure. But in reality, we're not secure. We're putting our faith and trust in God. If we're fearing God, then then we can actually feel secure. Then we can know our confidence and have security. Fearness, fear, fear of the Lord emboldens. I like that phrase. It's the fear of the Lord that emboldens. The wise man has a fear, and that, that fear is in the Lord. Now, let me give you a couple of illustrations. Remember Abraham? Abraham. He had to do the unthinkable. He had to put his son on this altar and kill his son. And he was raising his knife. He was doing this in submission to the Lord, but he was doing this with confidence that God will even raise the dead if he needs to. Raise the dead. That's, that's the image. That's the image. This confident in fearing the Lord that God can do the impossible. It's Daniel and his three friends that, that say, stand before the king. You can even kill us, king. You can throw us in that fiery furnace. We will not bow. 
That's confidence because they feared God, because they loved the Lord more than anything else. Now let's begin to apply this. We need this today, don't we? We need men that fear God, that even understand what that concept is. We have, we have almost excluded God completely out of our lives. He's just some, something that we do on Sunday mornings. We come to church, oh, we worship God, and we go out, and the rest of the week we just forget about it. No, He has to be built into our lives. We fear God. It's a way of life. We fear God. This statement, by the way, is not a command. He's not commanding us to fear God. It's just a statement. It's a statement of fact. You fear God, and this is going to be the result. And that is so true in the Christian life, isn't it? In the New Testament language, we stand before God with complete confidence because our righteousness is not in ourselves. Our righteousness is in Christ, and He lived the holy and perfect righteous life. But here's what happens. We lose our confidence many times, men, because of guilt. Because of guilt. Guilt of our own sinfulness. We know our frailties. We know our faults. And we live under that guilt. And somehow we need to to realize that. We need to ask for forgiveness of that and then move on. We must grow. This is actually a challenge to spiritual growth. This is actually a challenge to maturity. Because this is the characteristics of a mature man. This strong confidence. How? Because he just constantly submitted himself to Christ. The fear of the Lord. Constantly submitted himself and fearing the Lord. And he develops this confidence. Conviction. You say, well, how do you do that? That's a good question. Let me tell you. It's... By pursuing maturity. Now, I used the illustration the other day of just how different our fears are for children than adults. Children can be afraid of a lot of little things. They scare loud noises and dark and and those kind of things. Scare children. But adults, we don't even think about that anymore. We're not so much afraid of the dark anymore. We're not so much afraid of loud noises. Why? Because we can process that. There's a certain level of maturity. That same thing has to happen in the Christian life. It just has to. That maturity has to happen. And then, as a result of that, just confidence comes. Adulthood comes. And there is a, a spiritual adulthood that we need to seek. You say, well, how do you seek it? Well, it's the, the most the basic stuff, stuff that you already know. Do you pursue the Word? Do you pursue understanding the Word? Now, we have this uh, idea today of just this quasi-spirituality that uh, you just read a verse today and you kind of uh, get some warm fuzzies and have these little devotions. And that is not a concept you see in Scripture. You, you study the Word. You study with the purpose of conviction. You study with the purpose of understanding so that it does develop these convictions in your own life. We don't just pursue our felt needs. No, we, we study systematically. We pursue doctrine. Guys, can you, can you label maybe the top ten doctrines? Do you have a, a full understanding of those doctrines? That's something to pursue. One of the, one of the things I did when I was a youth pastor, one particular guy was discipling. And we would run. We would run together. And while we ran, I was working through my, uh, working my way through the book of John. 
this guy's name was Vaughn. He's a young teenager. He was interested. He wanted to spend time with him. He just, and so I said, okay, Vaughn, we're going to spend our time productively. And so while we ran, we worked our way through this book of John. And we broke every chapter down into particular subjects. And we would memorize, okay, one through nine. We, we got up to that. We memorized all the, okay, here's the major events in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. We were able to think our way through that whole book. We memorized, not the, not the book, not the, but the, the big picture, the content essentially of that book, the flow of thought of that book. That was so good for me. It was so good for him. It helped us to grow. It forced us. It's like a, a pressure cooker for spiritual growth. It forced us to know and understand the book of John, not just some kind of surface thing. Guys, I challenge you, do that. You have to, you have to start somewhere. Or take a theology and learn that theology. I know, I know, you've got everything else going on. All, everything's pressuring you. Everything's pushing for your time and your attention. But these are essential things. You want confidence? It's going to come when you know the Word. When you know God of this Word. And then just ask questions. When you don't know, just ask questions. Come to me. Ask questions. Come to the elders. Ask, ask lots of questions. That's what we see in the New Testament church, constantly asking Paul questions. What about this Paul? What about that Paul? So, the fear of the Lord. fear of the Lord produces a strong confidence in our life. But it also produces, look at verse 27, produces a, a, a source, it becomes a, a source of life for us. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Now, it doesn't say God is the fountain of life. He is, but we actually become the fountain of life. He is the fountain of life. God is, and then we become this fountain. It becomes this fountain of life for us. One may avoid the snare of death. Now, it's not just talking about spiritual death there, but it's, it becomes this snare, or becomes this fountain of life, fountain of life. Now, the children understood this. This is kind of metaphorical speaking here. But the children of of Israel understood this. I mean, they had spent years in the wilderness. They lived in this dry, deserty, arid place. When you were traveling, you came up on an oasis, a spring, a spring of water. It, It meant life. It meant, hey, we can survive. We can, we can handle this. And you would build a, a, a little town around a spring. There was a spring there. It was this spring of life. You can understand that. And then the context here, I was just talking about this source of this fountain of, of life, a fountain of, of water that springs up that, that you can build and, and live around. Uh, one commentary said, Charles Bridges, he said, it is the influence of the heavenly comforter. I like that. It's the influence of the heavenly comforter as a fountain springing up into everlasting life. God is that ultimate source. He is the source of this fountain. You know, we see this in Psalm chapter 1. But, but Christ is the one who spoke of this. And he fact, he, in fact, He said he was, the, he was the fountain of life. In John chapter 4 and verse 14, He says this, but whoever drinks of the water which I will give him, he shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's the picture. That's a wonderful picture. 
There's a there's confidence, but that confidence never have never has to to wane, never has to ebb and flow. It's there, it's there. It springs up within the believer. In chapter uh, chapter seven, John chapter seven, we see another uh, illustration of what Christ said in verse twenty uh, thirty eight. He said, "He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, living water." But this, he spoke of the Spirit. Now, that's the Holy Spirit living within us. Whom those who believed in him were to receive. Now, it hadn't happened yet at this time. They were to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given. Jesus had not been glorified. Listen, folks, we have this uh, the Holy Spirit living within us. This is the New Testament terminology. But Proverbs and Solomon understood this. This is a well of life springing up within, within the believer. Within those who fear the Lord, he says. It becomes this resource for us. This is a fountain of hope. One commentary pointed out that it's seen in the book of Proverbs, it's seen in his speech, in his wise understanding of the laws and the way he implements these laws, and then his, just his understanding in general. Those are the way we apply these things. Now, this is, this is not just spiritually speaking, folks. This this affects us spiritually, of course, but it also affects us temporally in this time and space. It affects us eternally, but it also affects our life on a daily basis here and now. Now, here's a crude illustration of this. This isn't something that, you know, gets him pumped up, this ex-outside force that, that just kind of pumps this man up and gets him all excited about life. No, this starts from within. This comes from within. You see the difference? The other day, I was going down the, the road. Actually, I was, I was taking Christopher to work. It was early in the morning. He was asleep beside me. He was asleep in the car. I was very sleepy. I didn't want to do this, but you know, this is what fathers do. So you're driving down the road. And we had uh, the wheelbarrow, and we had to put some air in the wheelbarrow tire. Well, I'll get up in the shady and uh, stop at this place to put air in the wheelbarrow tire. You know, don't need a whole lot, just this little tire. Air to get air. <gasps> Breathing air, you see this air. It's a dollar fifty. It's a dollar fifty for air. Now, it's the principle of the thing, I know. I'm not going to pay a dollar fifty for air. So I go back and I check three other gas stations and they either want a dollar or a dollar fifty for air. I wind up having to go all the way back down to sheets. I probably spent a dollar or a dollar and a half looking for free air. But I found free air. I found free air. Now, here's what happened. I was asleep. The car was sleeping. Everything was quiet. I pull in there. I was just going to get some air. And I saw that and just exploded in my mind. This whole idea, I'm being violated here, a dollar and fifty for... And, and it just ignited my mind. And, and I was thinking, why am I so alert? Why am I so awake? Because something, something there inside me just exploded this idea. Now listen, folks, when we look into Scripture, now let me see if I can apply that. I know, you're, you're stretched. This is a stretch. This is a stretch. But here's, when we look through Scripture, we look through, we discover principles, we discover things for our life. It ignites us from within. It ignites our mind and we just think, this is what I want. I want this applied to my... It's not something outside force that just kind of pepper alley thing. No. No. It's from within. And we see that with Scripture. 
And Scripture actually then becomes the, the source, a source, a means of grace. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we have, as believers, those who fear the Lord, we are a fountain of life. We have those moments where we're just exhilarated by thought, by ideas. I was just singing this, uh, we were singing these songs, and I'm just thinking about the theology of this song, and my, not, my mind is just ignited, just in incredible thoughts. Now here's, let's try to apply this a little bit. The world doesn't understand that. They don't calculate that into the factor of man. For us, it's just a way of life. That's just what we are. That's just who we are. We read Scripture and we're ignited. There's a, there's a hope. There's an energy there that's a spiritual life that is there that the world does not calculate. They underestimate us. They underestimate faith. They underestimate it. So they look on the outside and they say, this guy is going to fail. This guy cannot succeed. But I tell you, many times, many times, just a, a, a believer, an average guy can ignite, be ignited with the Word of God and just it takes him so much farther than he would ever, anybody would ever imagine. And this is why, guys, this is why I don't like psychology. Because the world's psychology, they don't factor this, this in. They don't think about this. They don't analyze man in light of Scripture, in light of this fountain within. They just say, oh, yeah, this is the way it is, you know. And, and, and you know what? Here's what we do. In a society, if you know psychology and you know the society, we rise to that level. And that's about it. That's about it. We rise to the level of the, well, we can't do that. Well, it's never been done. You just can't do that. No. Folks, let me tell you, we have a spring living within us, the Holy Spirit, and He can ignite our understanding, give us understanding of principles, scriptures of life, of how we can please God. And it just ignites within us a fountain of life, a spiritual life and a vitality that is there. They underestimate. They underestimate the fruit of the Spirit of love. They don't calculate that in. Joy and peace. They underestimate self-control. They don't factor those things in. But folks, we have, we have a fountain of life. We have a means of grace. And here's, here's the application. Here's where we fall short. Is we don't apply those things. We just kind of live with the hum hole or the, uh, just the way the world lives. That's just the way we are, you know. We can't. We can't really be super spiritual. Oh, that's, that's artificial. Nobody can really love their wife like that. No one can ever really live like that within a family without uh, quarreling and arguing and hatefulness and bitterness and all of that. Yes. Yes, we can. We have a source. Now, here's the deal. We don't connect that source. We just kind of leave that to our, our, leave that alone. We don't, we don't, we don't apply that. And again, let me give you some means. Go into the next slide there, Don. Go, means of, uh, I believe I put it on there, means of grace. God has given us means of grace. Now, we'll, we'll end with this. I just want to run through this. Because we need to know it's there, but we don't tap into it. The Word of God is a means of grace. We have everything we need for life and godliness here in the Word of God. And we kind of just leave it on the shelf. Leave it on the shelf. One commentary said, again, Kinder, I know I've quoted Kinder a lot, but he said this, the Proverbs, you know, we tend to think, again, we, we tend to think, oh, that's just, that's just legalism. 
you're trying to put you know biblical principles on us that's not there and all this kind of stuff. And here's what Kinder said, and I like this: the Proverbs um, is not an alternate uh, alternative to His grace. We're not. It's not just principles. Ah, we've got to load ourselves up with all these principles and uh, alternative to His grace. Now, these are the means of grace. The Word of God is the means of grace. For everything is of grace. If we are interested in biblical things at all, it's by the grace of God. We don't even say, Lord, Lord, unless the Holy Spirit, and mean it, unless the Holy Spirit empowers us. But he goes on to say, for everyone is of, everything is of grace, from the power to know to the power to obey. That is so true. Just because we read Scripture and apply this to our life doesn't mean we're kind of legalistically putting things onto ourselves. No, we just want to please our Creator the way He's made us. That's what we want to do. And so we appropriate His grace. He's given us this Word as a fountain of life that, that springs up. Psalm chapter 1 is a perfect example of that. Remember the wise man of Psalm 1 and his roots go down deep, down to the river, and it brings up the water, and he and he's strong, he becomes this oak tree, this strong, powerful spiritual man. Also, another means of grace is our, our church. And I don't understand, I don't understand how people could just divorce themselves from the church. It is a means of grace for us. It's fellowship. It's encouragement. It's worship for us. Or our own family becomes this means of grace to us. It's the grace of life, Peter says. It's an oasis. When we come home from a world, we go in and we're refreshed. You know, even work, when we understand that we're working hard sometimes by the sweat of our brow, or we are having dominion over the earth like we're commanded to, we're pleasing God, it's a good concept. Other men, guys, other men is a source of grace, a means of grace that God works in our own heart. It's just iron sharpening iron, Proverbs says. Ministry, is a, there's a, an exhilaration with ministry. Prayer, we, we go to the Lord in prayer and come away being, being blessed, being encouraged by spending time with God in prayer. Folks, this is what the church needs. We need this. I need this. This is, this is a maturity here that solidifies our, uh, our lives with, with uh, biblical concepts. It brings, it brings a, a conviction to our lives to the point that, that it helps us grow to not be fearful, to not be stumbling and tripped up by sin and by Satan. When we become mature, we stand on our own two feet. We have confidence. We have this spring of life coming up. And Bridges, again, points out that it's because of this, I believe that quote is up there, because of this disconnect, we we don't apply these principles. Now, just by way of application and just by way of reminder, who do you fear? Do you fear man? Do you fear man? I mean, sometimes we do. I think it's it's foolish to fear man. We're not going to stand before man in the day of judgment. We're going to stand before God. And where's our confidence, guys? Is it in the fear of the Lord? Do we fear God? Do we fear God? Does that then produce a confidence and a wellspring of life that just... That just, the Proverbs says, a righteous man falls seven times 
Seven times. Yeah, seven times. David falls drastically. You know what? He gets up. He gets up and humbles himself and says, Lord, Lord, I'm a, I'm a weak man. Keep me. Hold me fast. And the righteous man just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. Why? He has this wellspring of water within him that's just feeding him spiritually, feeding him constantly to the point that he matures. He becomes this tree that's so strong and powerful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a wonderful image in our minds. Lord, thank You for being a gracious God. So kind to us. These means of grace, You have not left us hopeless and helpless here on this earth. You have given us so much. Lord, help us to tap into these things. Help us to live a life that glorifies You for one thing, but but Lord, this life that's just so much better for us to live. So much better for our children. So much better for the society around us. Lord, may we... Maybe honor and glorify our lives um, with, for you. Honor and glorify you with our lives. Lord, as we look at these principles, as we meditate, mull them over in our own mind, and, and taking these spiritual principles and applying them to this physical world, and when the two come together, Lord, it's a beautiful thing, and you are on display in our lives then, and you are honored and you are glorified. Lord, it's all about You. We don't get the glory for this. You are the source of the wellspring of life that's within us. Lord, we thank You for these thoughts. Thank You for these men. Thank You for the men that we have in our church. Lord, bless them. Encourage them. Lord, may they be spiritual oak trees, spiritual men, pillars in our community, pillars in our church. Help us to be about your business. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.